Hello and welcome to part three of a series looking at the letter of 1 Peter. My name's Mike and I'm from Watch It Baptist Church. I'm the pastor at WBC. You're either watching us online on YouTube or listening to us on one of a variety of uh, podcast streaming options. It's great that you're with us either way around. I do want to give a special mention to uh, our Belgian and Singaporean listeners who are so consistently part of our community. Okay, we're going to begin in prayer and then we're going to be reading from the later part of 1 Peter 1 and into 1 Peter 2. So let's pray. Lord, give us ears to hear as you speak to us. And as the Holy Spirit was involved in Peter writing, we also ask that the Holy Spirit would be involved in our hearing and our listening. Help us to become more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I'm starting at verse 13 of 1 Peter, and it says this. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you feel that my voice is a little different, this time round, that's just because I'm a bit under the weather at the moment. I'm okay, but um, my voice might sound a little different uh, and I'm a little bit snuffly, but we'll crack on anyway. My garage, the garage of the house that I live in, isn't quite a garage. It's been converted. In fact, if you're watching this uh, on YouTube, you are kind of in it. The study that I work in, that I prepare in, that I pray in, read in is two-thirds of what the garage used to be. The thing is, I don't walk into this room and think, oh, what a lovely ex-garage this is. 
Instead, I come in and go, what a wonderful place this is to read and to think and to pray and to do some work in as well. My computer is just over there to my right. Just out of sight, so it won't distract you. The garage that was has been converted and is now this amazing study. Sometimes choosing to follow Jesus is referred to as conversion. Trusting Jesus converts your life. It goes from something it was to something new that it is. In fact, it makes it dramatically different, much as this space is dramatically different from the garage. When something is converted, it is dramatically changed. And this is something Peter is aware of as he talks about what God offers us in terms of new life and new hope, and how he asks and invites us to live that difference, that dramatic change, not just in who we might be, but in how we see the world around us too. Indeed, in whose perspective on the world we choose to share. Peter experiences for himself and then urges his audience to experience total and complete change of life as a result of knowing and following Jesus. So I want to focus on four words in this passage, and they are, therefore, alert, holy, and love. All four of those occur in our reading, and it's around that I want to build a little bit of perspective that I want to bring on these verses today. Firstly, there, therefore, we find this in verse 13. And it's a really important hinge word. It turns up all the way through uh, the Bible, particularly, I think, in the New Testament, particularly in letter writers, as those who are wanting to explain about Jesus want to tell their audience lots of things and to find a way to knit those things together. So in the therefore in verse 13, Paul is kind of writing, Paul who wrote, no, it's not Paul, it's always it, it's Peter. Peter who wrote this letter is saying, because of the last bit I wrote, I now want to talk about the next bit that I'm writing. Because of what I've just said, I can go on to say the next bit. It calls forward, it kind of, it kind of says the things that we've gone past, we don't leave them behind, we bring them with us. And that's what therefore does. So what God offers us it converts us, it changes us. Peter has said that God offers new birth, which is a brand new life, and living hope, which is a reason for living now, and inheritance, a place in his family, in God's family. Brothers and sisters with Jesus is what we are as we choose to trust and follow him. And all of this, Peter has written, is because of the resurrection. Peter really wants that foundational point that he's made in the early parts of what we call chapter one, the first chunk of his letter, to be the foundation on which he builds as he explains everything else he wants his audience to hear. The resurrection provides a kind of override over death. That's the foundation. Everything else comes out of that. So let's move on to the word alert. 
again, we're in verse 13 here. Now, different translations handle this passage differently. Some talk about having your uh, minds prepared for action. And you can see how being alert kind of works like that. But I, I do quite often like the way different um, people use different words to translate an idea or to bring us an idea. In order to get our heads around how this, how we might think of this, I wanted to borrow an illustration from the first century or even possibly from before. In fact, let's go back a, a hundred years or so and, and think about Greeks. So Greeks tended to hang out in roads, the men did. I'm pretty sure the women did too, but you have seen this kind of idea of Greeks in roads, very often white roads, particularly if they were wealthy, wearing white was a sign of wealth because you could keep your clothes clean. So wearing white showed how rich you were uh, and then gave you status. Anyway, you got, you got to imagine a bunch of guys sort of lined up um, on a stretch of um, dusty earth and they're all getting ready to run. There's going to be a countdown, three, two, one, go kind of thing, and then they're going to set off and run. Maybe we might want to imagine instead of three, two, one, a kind of ready, get set, go kind of situation. So when the person calling the start of the race says, ready and get set, what do these guys do? Well, one of the things that's going to make it really difficult for them to run is the robes that they're wearing. They go all the way down to mid-shin, probably. Probably wouldn't go down to ankles because they just get too mucky down there, but they go quite a long way down. The trouble is that if you've got a robe around your lower leg, it's going to be difficult to stride quickly and stretch your legs out. So in this situation, those guys would, when they were told to get ready and get set, hitch their robes up into their belt to give their legs room to move. And that's the kind of prepare your minds for action parallel that we're thinking about here. You need to change something. You don't need to get rid of anything. You need to sort of readjust how you are so that you're ready for the next bit. I think it's worth noticing here that as Peter is talking to his audience, he doesn't talk anything about feelings at all. And that's not because Peter thinks feelings are unimportant. He's learned a lot through his own emotional journey with Jesus. So he'll know that feelings can be really helpful in guiding your way forward and in recognising who you are. But in this instance, he's talking about prepared minds. He says, have tuned in brains, be in thinking mode, ready for action and self-control. So we use the word sober when we read from the NIV earlier, and really self-control is what that's getting at. Have control of your thinking. And this is important because later on, he's going to talk about the difference between his audience now and his audience in terms of who they used to be and how they used to see the world and make decisions and, and find out what was going on around them. Effectively, he's going to be saying that instincts and feelings aren't the best preparation. They're not the best guide all the time. So having your thinking brain switched on is really important. In fact, Peter goes a bit further. He says, previously, when you didn't know about getting your thinking brain in order like this, before you knew Jesus, you were absolutely dependent on those instincts and on those feelings. And so the desires that came out of them Set you up the garden path quite easily, but you're not like that anymore. 
So let's take a different approach. Let's hitch up the robe of our thinking into our belt so that we're prepared, so that we're able to see things as they truly are. And when we set off, we're not going to get tangled up in our own robe. Word number three is holy. Holy has to do with the kind of the way God is. So holy means kind of different, um, set apart, uh, special, I suppose. Sometimes sanctified is a word that's used in, linked with holy, and it means sort of similar things. But what God is like is holiness. That's his nature. He's not like us. He's different. And although he's made us in his image, he is still distinctive. He still has a particular way of seeing the world. And it is holy. It's different from how the world works. In verse 15, Peter urges his audience, his, um, his listeners, I suppose, because the, the letter had originally been read out to a group. He urges them to be like the father, to be uh, like the one who has given them an inheritance. It's a question of saying, who's my role model going to be? And Peter is like, well, you may not have seen God, but you do know that he's worth following and worth worshipping. And so he is your role model, and being like him is the right direction to go. We know this, not least by observing children's behaviour. Children tend to behave very much like those who spend the most time with them. That's the major influence they have. That's the behaviour that's modelled to them. So very quiet parents often have very quiet children who always follow that way but you can see what I mean um, dads who are very vocal and shouty very often will have very vocal and shouty children it's not physically because they're male it can happen with anybody parents who kind of struggle to take responsibility for themselves are likely to raise children who don't really know how to own their own mistakes and their own development we see this in lots of ways, and not just with parents either. We see it with um, older brothers and sisters, and we see it with teachers in schools, and we see it with um, leaders in organisations like brownies or scouts and things like that. Influential adults will model to children whether they intend to or not, and children will follow that lead. So a big part of what Peter is saying is if you look up to Jesus, or you focus your attention on the holiness of the Father and make that the model that you want to grow into, and you will become more like that. This perhaps lends itself to an idea that we are mentored by Jesus, or more specifically by the Spirit that Jesus has sent to us. But it also ties in with this idea that we are apprentices to Jesus. So he is the master, and in how we do things, we look at how he does them, and that it will take him. Jesus himself um, encouraged his disciples to, to follow the example of the Father or be like God in the same way that he was endeavouring to do the same. So Peter says, don't be how you used to be because you've been transformed, you've been converted from an old version of you to a new version of you. So if you're going to be converted, it's important to be new and to be different, not just from who you used to be, but also from how the world goes about things too. Be instead like the Father. Don't be like created things. Be like 
the creator. And having done all this preparation work, Peter then goes on to say, kind of, as, as I've built on part one of my letter, so I'm building these things as I go through part two. And so having an alert brain and um, a desire to be holy, like the Father is holy, we get to a place where we recognise that love becomes the key component in how we live. Love, like God does, is effectively what Peter was saying in verse 22, is where we find that most clearly put. Like a heavenly father does. Love for neighbours, love for colleagues, love for friends, but also enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. And for those who are receiving Peter's letter in a situation in which persecution was much um, expected as part of those who followed the way, as it was originally called. It wasn't Christianity to start with, it was the way. Um, and if you're going to be following the way, this is what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to love in all those ways, with all those people, in all those circumstances. For Peter, love is proactive and very purposeful. Let's have a look again at verse 22. Peter urges his audience um, to love with sincerity and with depth. It says, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply. But he then goes on to it, sort of, not quite get distracted, but he wants to sort of fill out some of how he thinks it's important that we understand that or why it's important that we embrace that. And then at the very beginning of chapter two, he says, therefore, again, so he's drawing forward again the things that he's been, just been talking about. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. So he's saying love, as a doing thing, looks to clear out some of the patterns of behaviour that might be instinctive and that might feel natural. They're not the way that we do things if we're following the Father's example. Is talking about clearing out. Love is something that we do then, not just something that we feel. It's about our choices and our priorities. It's about seeing the way um, the Father looks at the world and trying to use that lens as well. Doing and saying things in a way that matches that. I'm a big fan of a song that talks a little bit about some of this. That's a very old song now, not very old, but in terms of contemporary popular music, it feels old. Uh, it's by DC Talk, who no longer record music, uh, and it's called Love as a Verb, and I'm going to read you four lines, and they say this. Hey, tell me, haven't you heard? Love is a serious word. I think it's time you learned. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you heard. The word love, love is a verb. Now, for those of you who feel that grammar at school was a long time ago, a verb is a doing word. Love is about what we do and how we do it. It's about what we say and how we say it. It's not just about having good intentions. I keep being drawn back to uh, the verse in Philippians 4 that says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, I don't know about you, but I've come across folks who have assured me that if they aren't sounding gentle, they aren't sounding caring, but their intention is loving, then it's okay for them to sound however they're going to sound. It's not on them because they have good intentions. And I don't think that Peter or Paul in Philippians gives us a lot of room for that. Gentleness is crucial. 
And Paul doesn't just talk about it in Philippians either. It's in that list uh, in Galatians, a list of the fruits of the Spirit. The gentleness is in there as well. To say that you love others and not then be gentle with them isn't okay. And Peter would say, as we look at these verses, if you're going to be deliberately alert in how you love, then you can't just rely on good intentions. You've got to deliberately get rid of some of the things that might feel instinctive, but aren't good. My study wouldn't work as a study, just to go back to the idea of transformation and conversion. It wouldn't work if it still had piles of paint tins and, and a rusty bicycle. And you know how lots of garages have big stacks of, of old timber that aren't used for what they were used for anymore, but they might be helpful later. Uh, it, it wouldn't work so well if it was covered in cobwebs. So, yeah, there are no cobwebs in here at the minute. Um, it, it, all those things would need to be cleared out and space would need to be made for the transformation to be complete, for the conversion from a garage to a study to be a full conversion. Stuff has to go. And Peter says what needs to go is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, unkind speaking. All of those things have to go. And, and some of those things that are things that we end up sort of doing, but we believe we've got a good reason, so it's all right. I think sometimes I'm tempted to talk less well of others because I think I've got a good reason for it. I think I understand why they might behave how they do. And so there is a fine line to tread, isn't there, between um, speaking ill of others and being honest about our situation. But for Peter in this moment, he is very keen that his audience understand that if they're going to call themselves converted people, transformed people, disciples of Jesus, there can be no room for those things that used to feel automatic, used to feel natural, but actually aren't supposed to be happening anymore. Let me just go back to the reading. It says, so I find the right bit. It says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice. So malice is kind of deliberate lack of kindness. Deceit, so that's pretending to be something that you're not. Hypocrisy, that's saying one thing and doing another. Envy, where you're focused on wishing that you were what somebody else is or wishing you had what they have. And slander, and that's to do with damaging other people's reputation by how you talk about it. They've all got to go, and there is no room for them. So stop trying to be somebody that you're not, or trying to fool others into thinking that you're something that you're not. And when you come across people who are difficult, wish them well and do good to them. Fight your instincts to hurt those who hurt you, or avoid those who hurt you, or treat differently those who hurt you. It's important as well that we remember that we need to take good care of ourselves and those around us who are wrong. The idea is not to open yourself up to being hurt again, because the Bible isn't asking you to do that. And the Father is focused on protecting those he loves. But he's not going to ask you to put yourself at risk. But at the same time, Peter is saying, don't give yourself an excuse 
to not be loving, even to people who are difficult, even to your enemies. Don't speak badly of them, even when they can't hear, because it doesn't become more loving. It's because the person you're talking about can't hear. So that's about recognising the difference between how the world works and how the Father works. And Jesus demonstrated for us how the Father works, or, or perhaps sometimes even more importantly to us, he demonstrated how humanity is supposed to be by being it himself. Peter says, you don't need to put anyone down. You don't need to win all the arguments because you've got something so precious. New life, living hope, and an inheritance with Jesus. And those things can't be taken away. We can be certain of them. Peter asks disciples to live like those things matter to us and that we take them seriously, that we think they are true. And Peter asks that we show that we take them seriously, show ourselves we take them seriously by having minds that are switched on and ready for action. To living so close to God that we start imitating, being like him. And to live in a way that demonstrates love all the time and what we say and what we do. Let's pray. Father God, help us to be like you. Help us to love others with our whole selves. Help us to see things how you see them, including carrying with us the ideas of new life and living hope and inheritance. And help us live like love matters and like it will be the thing that shapes who we are and how we are. Okay, it's time for our three questions. Question one is this, who do you find hardest to love? Now, I don't want you to share that with others unless you're really certain. I'd much rather that you kept it to yourself, but that you are honest with yourself about who those people are who are hardest to love. Because the next thing is to say, it's those who are hardest to love who I need to love most deliberately. So, who do you find hardest to love? And how are you going to love them anyway? Question two, who helps you to imitate the Father? This is really about saying, um, if you want to be more like the Father, if you want him to be the model that you're trying to imitate, if you want to be an apprentice to Jesus, where you look at how he does things and you want to copy him, who are the people who helped with that? And it's important to identify who they are so that you can ask yourself sometimes, um, what would they do in this situation? Now, the what would Jesus do idea is brilliant, but sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes we might find it's easier to picture what somebody else who we know would do than it is to picture what Jesus would do. And those ideas of, of mentors or people we look up to can be really helpful. It's important we don't end up treating them as if they're Jesus, you know, or end up sort of effectively worshipping them. That's not what we're going for here. But there will be those around you who are good role models and who are worth looking at and saying, what might they do? 
G3. As part of our conversion, we need to throw out things. I talked about the idea of a, of a rusty bike or an old bit of furniture or whatever it might be, cobwebs and things like that. What is it in your life that needs to be cleared out as you continue to follow Jesus and to stay converted as his follower? Okay, that's it from me. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you his peace. I'll see you soon. Take care.